Welcome to the Realtors Land Institute podcast, the voices of land, the industry's leading land real estate organization. Hello, folks. This is Justin Osborne, accredited land consultant with the Wells Group Real Estate Brokerage in Colorado and New Mexico. With me today is Joel King, national marketing consultant with J.P. King Auction Company and instructor for the Recreational Land Real Estate course through RLI. How's it going today, Joel? Everything's going great. How about you? Oh, I'm good, man. I'm proud to have you with us, and I'm excited to have a discussion today about the rise of recreational land. And I'd like to start uh, with just having you kind of educate our listeners how this recreational land class came about i know it didn't even exist just not too long ago well uh you know my first um uh, uh, dealings with rli was back in the early 2000s and we worked through several different things and uh, uh there was a need through leadership thinking that um you know there there's a lot of recreational land and you'll you know some of the numbers that i'll be giving you today will you know will uh uh, we'll let everybody know that there is a lot of recreational land and it's 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 high dollar land you know even though it's not as profitable from the income you know income point and uh, we've had some really good success uh you know in the rli classes that we've offered and uh you know we'll have 30 to 40 brokers that are you know are, are land specific brokers and a lot of them uh, are only doing recreational land well let's talk about the purchaser how have you seen the purchaser of recreational land changed from what it used to be, and who do you see buying in today's current market? Well, I've been in the business uh, in mainly selling land um, for about 35 years. So I've been through several different um, uh, markets, and you know it hadn't changed a whole lot except for you're looking at people that are, are not only buying recreational land, but they're also looking for this recreational land being a place that they can retire. You know, they've got like a five-year plan, the baby, the baby boomers are, are, um, are looking to retire, and, and there's a lot of things that they're taking into consideration. Um, some of the other ones, um, you know, with the 1031 exchange being uh, very prevalent in today's world, um, there's a lot of money rolling out, uh, or in, actually in between recreational land parcels. Uh, I know you see that out in Colorado quite a bit. Uh, it's just that, uh, you know, and, and, and that's, that's kind of like, uh, you know, playing with, uh, uh, with the house money because it doesn't seem real money to these people. Um, the other ones that are looking at, uh, you know, we're talking about millennials, um, you know, the thing about them is that basically they're looking for a like a work-life balance, and you know they'll be interested in some of the smaller tracks, but they want to be near a state or a national refuge or park or something like that because you know, naturally they're in into the, the hiking and camping and a lot of different things that uh, uh, you know years ago uh, recreational land was primarily just hunting. Um, even though, you know, beachfront, it's recreational, there's several other ones that, uh, you know, that lend itself to that. Uh, you know, and going down a little bit, you know, the Gen X people, uh, you know, the ones that are raising families right now, they're not really in, into the market. Um, you know, they're still raising babies and paying for college. 
Um, the institutional buyers are not uh, much because of uh, the lack of, uh, of income on these particular type of properties. Um, you know, people are buying and holding tracks uh, in different areas and looking to buy in growth areas. So uh, that kind of dictates as well, you know, where it's going to be. And we'll discuss a little bit, a little bit later on about the, um, uh, you know, where the prices are going. So, yeah. Well, I, I agree that definitely seems like we've been seeing a lot of things change. You know, 20 years ago, we didn't even know what the word glamping was. And out here in Colorado, you know, we've got resorts that are charging a thousand dollars a night for people to go recreate on their land. And, you know, they call it glamping, G-L-A-M-P-I-N-G. You know, they take the word glamorous and the word camping and combine it to come up with glamping. And it's crazy what these city folks are paying to go essentially sleep in a yurt or an African type safari tent out in the wilderness under the stars that they just can't experience in the city. But it's, it's interesting really seeing these changes that we've seen the past 20 years. Yeah, there's no doubt. And of course you have some of the larger companies like Bass Pro Shop, of course they, you know, they own Cabela's and things, but you know, they're, they're building some of these areas and um, you know, it, it, it's a business to them. So, uh, but it also, not everybody likes that atmosphere. They want to be off kind of a little bit more primitive. And um, so, you know, a lot of that's where the millennials are, will be coming in. Yeah, and I see a lot of emotional value with it. You know, there's certainly the business side, like you're talking about with Bass Pro Shops. And then, you know, when you get to the smaller average drill, it kind of seems like that there's a, a big emotional value that they say, you know, I've got my stocks, I've got my bonds, I've got my IRAs, and I can hold this piece of paper and they can tell me what they're worth. But I just watched my grandson shoot his first deer, and my granddaughter just caught her first trout on a fly rod. And it's hard for some of these guys to put a value on that because of the emotion and the memories that it forms. No, I, and I totally agree. I mean, it is an emotional buy for them. Um, you know, naturally, uh, the economy has to be good, and and uh, you know, in really the economy good for recreational land, for example, that doesn't have any income to it, they may be looking at well. And I know we're talking about buyers, but you also have to talk about sellers. You know, the seller, you know, where are they at in their in their process? Well, you know, this $500,000 I got tied up in this recreational land is not working for me, not making me any money. Now my kids are, are, are older. Uh, maybe the grandkids don't have interest in it. So I'm going to shift that, you know, shift that into the market um, until it runs up and starts to plateau. So, um I, I, I yeah. It is an emotional buy for sure. Well, and, and since you brought up sellers, let's talk about them for a minute, Joel. You know, selling a selling a house or a, a, an income producing farm is one thing. When you get to selling recreational land, uh, what's your spiel on educating the sellers on kind of the, the time frame that they can expect that to happen? Well, the market uh, and, and the information, uh, you know, that actually that um, – where this came from is from the land market survey, the 2019, the you know RLI, and I know you're familiar with it, and and and, uh, and the National Association of Realtors conducted, and you know talking about how long it will take, and it you know the days on market, which is a lot of how we 
you know, say, well, you know, are my, is my list price okay? Or should I drop it? Uh, am I competing in the market? But the days on market, for example, in, uh, in 2018 was uh, 90 days, uh, which is not too bad for recreation property. But uh, from the people that responded, as far as the brokers that, um, that they surveyed, uh, 2019 is 180 days. So recreational land has doubled on the time that it's on the market before it sells. And what's your thoughts on the cause of that? Is that because maybe there's more inventory, so buyers have more to choose from, or is the demand decreasing where we're not seeing as many buyers? Well, and I think it's a multiple things, but I think one of them um, as well is people are looking for more of a liquid investment in case something happens uh, in the economy. Um, naturally, they're going to have to put their safety nets on with their you know, stocks and bonds and annuities and different things like that. But um, I think a lot of it is just the, you know, the economy is good. Um, you know, while that money set there, especially when you're talking $500,000, million, or even even $50,000 set there and uh, not make anything. Uh, you know, the, the rise in the price of, uh, of the uh, recreational land, and well, land over, overall is not huge unless it's a, uh, irrigated, you know, irrigated farmland or, uh, or even non-irrigated farmland. So, uh, but that, I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is, is that, you know, um, there's not as much, I say there's, as far as inventory, there's a lot of inventory out there, but it's, um, uh, it's in a lot of different parts of the regions where a lot of different things are going on. I mean, uh, I know you see in Colorado, I mean, it's, it, it's pretty steady out there. As you know, um, you know, when you're talking in the, uh, you know, the Midwest, uh, even down in Arkansas where I'm at, Mississippi, you know, uh, recreational land prices have not moved at all. I mean, same farm, you know, well, one small example is a, we bought a farm back that my, my dad bought. Uh, back in the 70s, and he paid $325 an acre for it. Well, you know, probably about 10 years ago, we bought it back for $1,000 an acre. And uh, he wasn't real happy about it, but we thought it was a pretty good buy, $1,000 an acre. But I don't see that same price appreciation uh, on that. I mean, I, I, I don't. So I think that does create a lot of inventory, people wanting a little bit more, but they're just not going to be able to get it. Well, with, with more inventory and, and prices being a little more flat, uh, what recommendation would you make to some of those recreational landowners as far as uh, maybe improvements to the property or improvements to the features of the property that they can do to kind of separate their recreational land from the competition? I think a lot of it uh, these days, especially when you have retirees that are in the market, uh, accessibility. Um, not only on your your main roads, but your in, your interior infrastructure, uh, whether it be you know walking trails or a uh, four wheeler side by side, or being able to uh, you know uh, drive a truck. And I I've got a, a friend of mine uh, here in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and he's 83 years old. He's still wanting to buy a farm, but he he doesn't walk very well, so he's going to have to have something that he can drive his truck around. So that infrastructure is going to help uh, naturally uh, 
you know, if you don't have power to the property, you know, you're looking at a large expense in the rural area, uh, you know, seven, eight thousand dollars for a, you know, a, a over a quarter mile to, to a half mile uh, would be great if you could, you know, put some water source on it, uh, dam up a creek, uh, take advantage of one of your um, uh, springs that you have. Uh, build a small cottage on it. I, I wouldn't go over the top for sure. I mean, um, I know Justin, you see these large tracks, especially out uh, out west, that have these really grand uh, lodges on them, and it it basically keeps the property from bringing what it should, because it, nobody needs a ten or twelve thousand square foot lodge all the time. So it takes a special buyer uh, for that. But I mean, the, I'm talking uh, with with some additional brokers. Um, you know, a lot of them. If you're going to be buying something, uh, you know, you're looking at uh, and, and trying to get big money for it. You're going to need to need to be between an hour, hour and a half from a a, a medium sized airport, not a major airport, medium sized, where they could small, you know, uh, fly a small jet in. Uh, you know, we already talked about income. If you could just, you know, if there, you could just get some income on it, you know, if it's an ag piece, but you want to turn it into a little bit of a recreational piece, well, down in our area, you know, in the Delta, uh, duck hunting is, is huge. And and honestly, if, if uh, a farmer can put uh, five pits, duck pits on his property, he can get anywhere from 5,000 to 7,500 per pit. Uh, well, that's pretty good money, and uh, so that's where it's kind of I call it a hybrid, uh, you know, a hybrid piece. Um, grazing, if you have any pasture, uh, you're looking at timber, uh, you know, all these things, just trying to do uh, uh, to get an income stream that'll bring that, you know, that uh, return on uh, return on ROI and turn on investment for some of these guys that are some of these people that are looking uh, for these properties. Now, educate our listeners, Joel, on that income you were just talking about. Those numbers of five thousand to seventy-five hundred per pit—is that per duck hunting season or per month, or what are we looking at there? Well, the duck hunting season uh, is sixty days, and it would be for sixty days. I mean, it would be your your rice to that pit. Now, the farmer owns the pit. Uh, now, there are some cases that. Somebody will uh, will talk to one of these uh, landowners or farmers or whatever and say, "Hey, uh, I'll put the pit in, which will cost you, you know, five hundred, five thousand dollars, depends on how elaborate you want. Uh, and I'll, you know, I'm gonna pay you seventy-five hundred dollars a year. Well, they've got that leased for a year. So the other thing it helps. I mean, it helps the farmer. And I know we're getting off the track of recreational land, but with a hybrid piece with the farmer, the farmer can show that he actually is producing 7,500 a pit or let's say $50,000 a year. Well, then that just helps him with his, uh, his lending power uh, with the bank. Well, and it, it could be also, you know, as these farmers are getting up there in age that the younger generation may not want to use that property for the same way that that farmer's been using it the past 50 years. And so it could be that the highest and best use may change over the years where at once it was income producing property, 
you know, with what we've seen in commodities and the price of fertilizer going up, it could be that maybe a recreational property is the new highest and best use for a property like that. And it would be. I mean, I and, and I totally agree. Uh, you know, it's um, uh, there is some changing going on, but it it also until we can get a foothold on. Uh, I do some appraisals here uh, in Arkansas, and uh, you got to be careful when you're doing a you know a, fl a flooded timber track or a or an ag farm that uh, a farm that's got some additional pits and things on it um, because it skews the numbers. Some of these places are selling for three times what it should, or at least two and a half times what it should. And, uh, you know, you got to be careful on that because it is duck hunting land is his outpaced farmland three to one. And, um, you know, it's, but I mean, the, the people you're talking, or your, your buyers are, uh, I'd say your higher income individuals. So they're not buying it on the basis of trying to make money off that particular property. Right. Yeah. And even though they may not be trying to do that, I think it's important for our listeners to really try to figure out, you know, what is going to be the exit strategy five, seven, 10 years down the road. You know, you reference these 10,000 square foot lodges that have been built out in the West. You know, we're, we're selling those for literally, you know, 20 to 30 cents on the dollar. And we're talking high-end custom log homes that were $400 a foot to build. And we're giving them away because the buyer bought this beautiful recreational piece of land, but they didn't think about what their exit strategy was going to be 10 years later down the road. And I just think that that's real important for our brokers to be having discussions with their clients about early on in the process. Right. And also, you know, sometimes you got to step up and just tell your seller, I'm, you know, I, you know, I'd, I'd rather, uh, you know, I'd rather upset you now than disappoint you later. Uh, because, you know, it's just not going to, it's just not going to bring it. And we see, you know, um, with our, our auction company, we sell a lot of recreation property and have for several years. And we're just seeing that nobody, you know, nobody wants that large of a home anymore to go for a weekend to have to clean or upkeep or hire somebody to, you know, to do the upkeep. Right. Yeah. A little bit of a liability there. You know, those, those words I'm hearing you talk about with clean and upkeep kind of bring the term holding cost to my mind. And, and what would you say are going to be kind of the number one, two and three uh, just expenses, holding costs that, uh, a land broker really needs to be educated on in order to prepare their clients of what it's going to cost to hold this property every year. Well, and really there again, depends on which region that you're in, you know, within the, uh, and what, what the tax structure is, um, the value of the timber that's on it, or at least the county thinks, you know, the value of the timber. But uh, for example, I'll say in the midst, you know, in the Midwest, uh, as far as recreational, uh, taxes aren't going to cost you a whole lot of money uh, as long as you don't have a structure on it. Uh, if, if you put a, you know, if you go to, you know, out in your area, New Mexico, uh, uh, Colorado, I mean, Montana, Wyoming, and they, and you put a 10, 15,000 square foot lodge on it, I mean, they're going to tax you unbelievably. And, but what comes with that naturally is insurance. Uh, 
and then a lot of them are wood structures. I mean, I'm talking about log, you know, log homes, and uh, it just becomes uh, it, it becomes expensive that way. But then, you know, it's like you read that, you know, you mentioned earlier is that you've got to weigh those costs to what you, you know, how expensive do you want your uh, your moments with your kids or your grandkids or uh, your, you know, your company. Because there are companies still in the market, still buying a few of these tracks, um, you know, for retreats or, you know, or letting their, their you know, their company uh, employees use it. So uh, you got to weigh those costs. But uh, I mean, I think the heavy thing, um, you know, I'm going to say insurance and, and the upkeep. Um, I say upkeep, I'm talking about, you know, of course, you know, caretaker, uh, fencing, road maintenance is huge. I mean, in the areas that have a lot of uh, terrain change, I mean, you get a lot of a lot of roads, a lot of driveways that, are, that become impassable if, uh, if you have a big snow or big rain or just normal wear and tear. Well, what can you tell our listeners about uh, opportunities for them to get educated here in the near future? on selling recreational land. I know your Arkansas chapter is uh, graciously hosting the land you courses. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, the, what we have coming up um, in, in May and the first part of June, um, Realtors Land Institute um, makes it available for, and fortunately we were able to do it in Arkansas, which is pretty much central located in the United States. And we're gonna offer uh, several classes that will, uh, uh, and if you, if you don't know what an ALC is or accredited land consultant, if you want to go on to the Realtors Land Institute uh, uh, website, but then, um, you know, we're going to offer a lot of these classes uh, during that week, and I know you're going to be coming in, teaching a couple classes, um, and uh, you, can, you can get educated that way. You can get, you know, you can learn that way. The other ways, um, you know, we have uh, educational, we got uh, free uh, webinars. Uh, we have an RLI blog and it's all on the, uh, um, it's on the, and we'll be glad to, to get you all the information as well. Um, what I like about uh, in the most, in the best conference that I've been to is a national land conference and it's coming up in San Antonio in uh, the end of March, uh, first part of April. And, you know, you've got, several hundred land brokers that are willing to share experiences and listings and, and you know, techniques. Uh, and I think that's great. I mean, you don't see that in every, uh, you know, you don't see it, you know, you don't see it in the, in the residential side of it, but you see it in the land side of it. They, they are willing to help anybody that needs help. So, um, I, you know, and, and one thing that, um, you know, it's it probably one of the most important things, you know, for a land broker to look at and, and see that they, or make sure that they have somewhat of a knowledge of is, I mean, I love maps. Uh, you know, you got to understand a little bit about the legal descriptions. I mean, it's a lot different than the lot blocking edition. You got a meets and balance description and not saying it with all the CAD programs you have now that you have to be able to draw one out by hand, even though years ago when I was in, got into business, I had to draw it out by hand uh, and it helped me. But, uh, but you know, 
get you a good mapping program. Uh, you know, most of the parcels in the counties, uh, most counties have their parcels mapped out. I mean, there's several, several good mapping companies. And, um, you know, that's going to be a useful tool for you because you're going to be able to find out who owns the property next door, what, you know, what the sales are, if you can learn how to search in some of these county, uh, uh, these county searches. So those are some of the ways that I, I keep abreast of it. And I, I, you know, I do, I have a lot of Google alerts and uh, but Realtor Land Institute is one of the, uh, one of the main things that I've used and it's helped me get more educated with uh, land sales. Yeah, and it, it helps educate the buyers too, you know, I mean, it's one thing certainly for us as realtors to be educated, but the buyers are not going to buy a property that they don't understand. And so if uh, you as a realtor are not putting together a good map to clearly explain the property to where a buyer can understand that property from maybe sitting behind their desk 2,000 miles away. Uh, you're doing a disservice to your seller because the chances are slim that buyer is going to get excited about the property if he doesn't understand it. No, that's right. I mean, and here's the thing with, with somebody setting 2,000 miles away from some, you know, from a, a property, Let's say that they're sitting in, uh, you know, in, in North Carolina and looking at property in in Montana. Uh, they're going to want as much information now, you know, where 20 years ago they probably would have got on the plane and went and toured with, you know, got in the truck, drove the the, the county roads before they even knew for sure if they were even going to be a prospect. But now I, I'm with you. I mean, there is so much information out there that can that you can make it useful. I mean, between you know, drones uh, flying, you know, these recreational pieces are great. As a matter of fact, I mean, any piece of property is, is extremely important. Um, the videos that are out these days, uh, 360 degree, 360 degree views, uh, where you can pick a point on a, on a farm and, and see what it looks like all the way, you know, all around it. Uh, it's just great. And, um, but mapping is very, very, very important. Um, you've got to understand it in order to be able to explain it to a buyer. Well, we definitely recommend that our listeners uh, sign up for the recreational land class. Uh, like Bill was saying, there's the opportunity in uh, Arkansas into May, early June. Uh, there's also going to be some opportunities to get educated from other uh, agents in the industry at the National Land Conference in San Antonio, end of March, early April. And you can go to rliland.com, click on the events tab, and you can see the exact dates for these offerings. Um, I love what Joel said about, you know, some of these other uh, industries are a little bit more cutthroat, but when you get around some of these land agents, it's kind of an all tides rise mentality, and they'll bend over backwards to help you, and it's just really great being able to learn from the professionals that are in the industry uh, that are doing this day in and day out. And so I'd like to thank Joel uh, for the time today. We had Joel King with us, National Marketing Consultant with J.P. King Auction Company. You can visit his website at jpking.com if you have any additional questions or you'd like to get in touch with Joel. Thank you guys for listening today. <laughs>